You are now listening to the Socks and Sandals podcast. Peace and blessings, y'all. First things first, before we get into this episode, I got some great news to share with you, all right? You ready? Okay. Culturally relevant professional development exists. You understand what I'm saying? It exists because I created it. I created an eight-week cohort-based course called Know Your Enemy, The Evolution of Racism. Now, this isn't your run-of-the-mill diversity stuff, your watered-down, cookie-cutter, BS corporate stuff. Look, it's 2021. We are living in the age of Dante Wright. We are living in the age of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. We are living in the age where we can no longer pussyfoot around the topic of racism and producing real justice and real change in these corporate environments. I'm talking about thorough, uninhibited, fundamental, foundational knowledge of what racism is and how it works. If you know your enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. And if you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will succumb in every battle. We do not know our enemy. We try to solve problems about race, but we don't even know what racism is. We don't know when it started. We don't know how it evolved. We don't know the certain things that have happened in the past that are still tied directly to the, to the present day and what we're going through. This is not a coincidence. What we're facing in America It's not a coincidence. What we're facing in our workplaces, it's not a coincidence because we've ignored the problem and we don't have a thorough understanding. If this appeals to you, if this is something that you want to get enrolled in, email me, ypdevelopment2030 at gmail.com. I will see you May the 12th. Grace and peace. What up, what up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the building whipping it up, and I have a very special guest with me. I have, well, before I get into her, her name, she is a wife. She's a mother, an author, a speaker, a high-performance coach. She is one of the world's top experts on the fight, flight or fight. Am I saying it right? Fight or flight stress response and the creator of the pressure free method. I'm speaking with the one and only L Ingalls. L, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad that we're able to finally do this. Um, before we get into your story, your journey uh, and your expertise, we must share how we met. Now, yeah. the last time we talked, we kind of rehashed this. I still don't have the timeline exactly, but I'll, I'll give my version and then you can kind of correct it as, as needed. <laughs> so I, I remember, I, I can't remember, this is my, my thing is the timeline. Mm-hmm. If it was 2018 or 2019, you were out here for a conference. Yeah. I was doing Lyft at the time and I gave you a ride to the airport. Mm-hmm. That's the beginning of the story. Does that sound about right? That's about right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but what, do you know what year it was? 2018. It was, man, it was really 2018. Yeah. Wow. Okay. The so years are flying. <laughs> I know. So, so three years ago we met, um, picked you up in the lift, took you to the airport. And I just remember us having this amazing conversation. I remember 
your energy and how welcoming and just how thoughtful and just I just felt a great energy and presence and I can't fully recall what we talked about but I just know we had an amazing conversation and I think I ended up following you <laughs> on Instagram and you follow me back and we've just been corresponding over the years and you know mm -hmm. we finally re you know reconnected and had a had a conversation a couple months ago but that's that's my recollection of how we met and I'm just so glad that we're able to continue to build on this this relationship um, but I'll let you give your version of what you remember from when we first met. Yeah, so you were like the only second time in my life that I ever dialed a lift call. Okay, oh, wow. so so it was kind of new for me. I hadn't done a ton of traveling in my, you know, as a as a mom for a while. Like, so it was a cool deal. Like, and I, so you you pick me up, and I don't know. We just fired on a lot of things. And I remember firing on something too. We were talking about ancestry.com. Like I had just like gotten into it because I was trying to find my biological father, uh, a grandfather. And my grandfather had also been adopted. So my great grandparents, I was trying to find all that. Yeah. It was mysteries in my family. And you were into some of that too. So we we're kind of going back and forth and, um, you know, yeah, so so we were talking about, we just talked about a lot of things, but I remember after you dropped me off, like I walked into the airport and I just went like, that was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so of course I get home and I go, honey, I had this driver to the airport. He was, it was so cool. I'm gonna look him up, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. And you know, it was a, that was a, um, a really formative time for me. I mean, that was literally 2018 was at the time when I walked away from corporate America. Um, and I had already, I had started the podcast. I was doing it for about a year. I wasn't a thousand percent sure of what my next move would be. I just know that I didn't want to sell insurance anymore. All, all respect to all insurance agents out there. But for me, I was just done. Uh -huh, <laughs> and yeah. I was just like, all right, um, this will just be the bridge to keep me busy and, and keep a little bit of money coming in while I figure out what is the next chapter of my life. But also, like, to be fully honest, I had a lot of fun doing that. Like the <laughs> conversations I was able to have, the people that I, I was able to meet, um, to really rediscover my city. I got to learn a lot more about my city and what was going on and why people were coming and who was coming and what was, you know, all these things that are happening. It was just really cool. And you are one of at least three conversations or episode, like three people that I've met that have turned into an episode, the connection that I've made. So, wow. yeah, so it's, it's really cool to be able to meet folks from all over the place and, but just have these common bonds. So um, really mm -hmm. awesome, really awesome. Cool. Yeah, so that, that leads us to where we are today. But, you know, it's, it's long overdue that we spoke. I mean, you, you provide a lot of value uh, in many ways. And we're so let's let's just go ahead and get into that. So uh, first things first, I would love for you to to discuss your your journey of becoming a high performance coach and you know with an expertise and stress re stress response. So how did you get into coaching, and then how did you you know lead towards going in the stress response category of your specialty? Yeah. Um... You know, sometimes it's when the awful things happen to us that that the breakthroughs come. And um, I've been coaching 
Um, I've been teaching violin because I've been a violinist since I was very young. I knew I wanted to be a professional musician at age 10. Like I just knew it. And I kind of felt like I was born in the wrong century. Like, <laughs> And a lot of people that are in classical music, we kind of feel this way. Like we're just born in the wrong time, man. Because <laughs> like, we're so, we love the music so much of last centuries. And so that was me as a tiny girl. Like my folks, my dad played harmonica, you know, my grandpa played banjo. So I was like a classical violinist. This was a different deal. And so, um, so, but it, so I was teaching violin under the tutelage of my teacher at like age 16. But then my senior year in high school, I was a runner and I wanted to run for University of Michigan. Um, I messed up both my knees, like so badly I could hardly walk. Mm. And um, I was training in the wrong shoes. People didn't know stuff about that back then. It was, it was a mess. And, um, and I kind of became an emotional mess. <laughs> so, so I went to the coaches. I was like the distance captain of uh, 26 girls did distance in my school. It was a big high school. So I went to the coaches and I said, I asked them if I could um, stay on an apprentice coach. Like, give me whatever you don't want to do. Mm. Taking splits, keeping girls on track of their splits. Like I'd be there with a the stopwatch at the lanes, you know, I'd be keeping everything coordinated. And so I said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And I learned from two really great coaches. So I've always um, on the side of whatever my other positions were, I've always been teaching someone violin or viola or coaching athletes, like mm. just always. Um, but that was just kind of definitely on the side because I was did all this other stuff. <laughs> uh, but you don't need to hear about that. What we really need to get into is how did I come to do this kind of coaching? Sure. Um, so I'm a firm believer in putting mentors in my life. Um, I'm sure people come to you for mentorship because you really have some wonderful things to teach. And so um, I had put a mentor in my life because I wanted to create, after years in the nonprofit arts sector, I wanted to create a for-profit business of my own. I wanted to be a business owner. I didn't even know what it would be. But I started out as creating a little financial business to teach financial management to um, nonprofit execs and then others and others and entrepreneurs and um, so I was putting stuff together and I asked a guy to be my mentor who was in a completely different field. He was an economic developer, really great guy. And um, I just asked him if he would look at my stuff, look it over. So we met for the first time and it's kind of funny because I had actually never been to a Starbucks. This was 2010. <laughs> and so we, I meet him at this restaurant. It was a Starbucks, right? And so he goes, well, what can I get for you? And I look at this huge board of stuff, right? And I go, I have no idea. I've never been to one of these before. And he looked at me and he goes, what rock did you just crawl out from under? <laughs> You know, so, um, so we got a big laugh of that, but I showed him what I was doing. He was impressed. He gave me some thoughts and then he stopped and he got real serious and he goes, you know, I did my homework on you and I read your bio online and this is not what you should be doing because you're incredibly multi-talented and there's something else for you to be doing on this planet. Mm. So he got real with me. And I'm sure my face kind of fell like, oh crap, I got to start all over, <laughs> you know, what is this? But he said, just stay open, just stay open. I said, okay, I can do that, you know, I'll stay open. 
Two nights later, our boys, um, our two older sons were playing baseball on the same high school baseball team. And we're just shooting the breeze. And my eldest says, mother, you should coach our baseball team in your mental toughness tips that you teach us and your violin students. We would be amazing. We mm. could win state champs. We could do it. We could go all the way. And I thought he was joking. I just started laughing. Like who wants their mother in the dugout, right? <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, I am so serious. Wow. So I looked at my middle son, Ned, and he goes, mom, we want you. We want you. So with their prompting, I just started writing. I could hardly sleep that weekend, just writing, writing, writing. All these thoughts I had about this, like how would I help a baseball team rock it, like be amazing. I just kept writing, writing, writing. My husband's he's a pro writer. He tightened the language and threw some funny baseball graphics in mm -hmm. that the guys would understand, you know? And so I had a little pamphlet. Well, you know, baseball, you got the guy with a big chew in his mouth. He's <laughs> always spitting in the spittoon, right? Yep. So I thought he was our assistant coach and he was also the athletic director. And I thought, if he doesn't like this, I'm dead in the water. The boys will not respect me. So I called him first. And I told him I had this idea for mental toughness for the boys. I'd like to share it with him. So I went down to his office the next morning. He loved it. And so he goes, I'm all for it. Take it to the head coach. I'll support you to help you do this. I took it to the head coach. It was 2010 and he was a financial planner. And he said to me, I want to hire you to be my private coach. I need this. Wow. He's, he said he would just get like his phone would ring and he'd see the client ID, you know, the phone number, and he'd just go into a panic attack. Like there's nothing I can do about his funds. He's just going to scream at me, but I can't do anything. And he mm. goes, it's just awful. So um, he goes, will you be my private coach? I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what I'm doing, right, Emmanuel? Like, right. I seriously do not know what I'm doing here. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, how much is this? And I like made up a number. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So he was my first client. And then a few days later, I had a meeting with my department chair at the college where I've taught violin and viola for years. And we're just shooting the breeze. And I say, hey, I want to tell you what I'm working on these days. And she grabs her purse pulls out her checkbook and writes a check to me. She goes, I'm going to start tomorrow. Wow. So out of, you know, this idea of just stay open, I had a whole baseball team and two paying clients in a week. Whew. So I went back to that mentor, the second meeting, right? I go, well, I'm kind of on something completely different. Mm -hmm. And I show him the little baseball thing, right? And he chuckles and he laughs and he's like, well, you know, I, I don't know what this thing is really yet, but that was 2010, April 15th, 2010 was the start of my business. And now it's been 11 years and hundreds Dang, of people. Today, the, today the 20th, that's just 11 no, years. Yeah, that's 11 crazy. years and five days. <laughs> wow. So it was, it's been a quite a journey. I've worked with hundreds of people privately, you know, coaching them and then thousands of people in groups. And I've worked as young as 10, as old as 80. The 80-year-old was the mother of a gold medal Olympian wow. who said she'd been stressed her whole life and she tried everything. Mm -hmm. And she heard about me through a friend. Could I help her? And it was so cool to help that woman. What an inspiring lady to begin with. She was 80 and she was like kayaking and biking and da-da-da, you know, right? Cool lady. 
and I got to help her. So um, I like to say that an old dog can learn new tricks. Yeah. And uh, we are never too, you know, the, the, what I teach people to do unlocks their true brain potential and their body potential. And you, you hit on something at the start of this about injury, mm-hmm. you know, how I help people recover from surgeries, from injury, like it's incredible what can yeah, happen. Let's, let's talk about, I was going to wait a little bit, but I'm <laughs> you rolling. So let's talk about, um, well, actually. Want me to do the method? Like, what is this thing? Yeah, let's, let's get into the, the method and then okay. we'll talk about how that helps when it comes to, to injuries. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I used to think when I, in fact, when I was first coaching that, that those baseball boys, I was like, I just have to have those boys be totally in the zone at the start of every game. Mm-hmm. Like that was my thing. Like, you know, coming up to the plate, whatever you do in life, if you're taking the stage, if you're coming on a zoom, if you're, you know, whatever it is, I'm just going to get you in a great state. So you're in the zone, you can do what you need to do. But here's what I learned in 2010. When a male triggers fight or flight, the fight or flight stress response, we're only supposed to trigger that if we're really under a physical attack, okay? Mm -hmm. But we're doing it for all kinds of reasons today. When a male does it, it takes up to nine hours before they're actually, their cells, we're talking cellular level, are back to normal. Mm -hmm. It takes the cells that long to dissipate the stress hormones out of the cells and you get back to normal. Well, nine hours is your whole day trying to work. Yeah, and you're talking about, is it cortisol specifically or is it anything? Um, it's a whole cocktail. I like to say you're under the influence, right? <laughs> right, right. It's all these little chemicals. In fact, there are 60 different chemicals in the brain to begin with. Hmm. So there's, it's all these little chemicals and there's two floods. The first is that adrenaline rush, which most people are familiar with. Sure. And that is a cocktail. It's got a few different things in it that are, getting all that fat and glucose out of our cells so we can fight or run away. But there's a second flood that goes out later to fix all those cells that we've messed up and get the salt, sugar, water content of the brain and the major muscles back to normal. Those are, it's glucose, sugar, and cortisol. So glucocorticoids, they're called. Those are gonna go out to fix us and get us back to normal. But that they have a whole bunch of side effects too. Like it takes me over an hour just to describe all of it. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) But when you, when I do that with my clients, they become empowered. My job is to enlighten you, empower you and get you in that in the zone state. So you're, you're optimal. And so the first thing I do is enlighten you about this fight or flight stuff. And once you understand it, you don't, you don't, want to trigger fight or flight, but you also don't want anybody that you love or anybody else to trigger it too, because you see what the damage is. You mm. see what's actually happening. You understand it. Now, I remember so, you previously shared with me how, you know, in males, you said it's, it's nine hours. Yep, up to nine hours. Yeah. Okay. Up and to then, nine hours. A whole day trying to work, a whole night trying to sleep, right? That's why sometimes people wake up and they're exhausted. They're fatigued in the morning. What is that? Well, what's the difference between the male response and the female? Oh, and the female. Yeah, that's what's interesting. So for females, the response is an up to 24-hour cycle. Mm. So that explains why there can be a huge difference between men and women. Like a man and a woman have an argument. A few hours later, the guy's pretty cool, usually. Like, right? You know, he's like on the other thing. He's off and running. Is the woman cool? No. No. 
She is still in the argument. <laughs> Are you laughing? <laughs> I hope you're laughing. Otherwise, you're crying, right? Let me, let me put this on mute. Let me put this on mute. Yeah, I cry. I like crying. <laughs> yeah. So it's like she's probably triggering over and over again because you're not upset. Like you should still be upset. So she's mad at that too. Yeah. So, but nine hours and 24 hours, both of that length of time is way too long to compromise ourselves, right? It's too long. So most of us, everybody walking around, you go outside, they're all under the influence. Mm. They're under the influence of stress hormones, which is why people are acting so friggin' wacky. Sorry. <laughs> I get no, a little, I get intense on this. Right? Unapologetic expression. Oh, right, right. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, and gosh, I just have to say this too. The other night I was talking to a very small, so my first in-person group since COVID. I'm in Michigan, which is very locked down. Okay. So first in, in-person group just last week, it was a group of women and it turned out all of them, but one were mothers. They didn't know that, you know, I don't know these people. Like, so I'm just sharing a couple of things that like 10 minutes of sharing. And the last thing I said was like, so if you know of anybody who has a high anxiety child, and the moment I said those words, Emmanuel, the, the room changed. Mm. And afterwards, every one of them came up to me, except the woman that didn't have any kids. <laughs> mm. And they're like, oh, my God, I need to talk to you. Mm. I have a child who's so, so anxious. You know, da da da, -da. Anxiety is like everywhere. We thought it was bad back before COVID. And now mm. it's just ridiculous. And... I've been working with a lot of students too, but I just, you know, it makes my whole body just kind of go crazy to think of how many people are suffering and don't need to be. Mm. And then I started thinking about, it and I thought, you know, they'll say, oh, my child has no focus. It's not a focus issue. It's a stress hormone issue. Mm. Okay. Mm. It's not a hyperactivity problem. It's a stress hormone release problem, mm. okay? It's not a chronic disease diabetes problem. It's a stress hormone release problem. Mm. So you just take any disease, mental or physical, mm -hmm. and the stress hormones mess with it. It's funny that you say that. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I was on Twitter scrolling and I seen this thread of like medical books that you should read. Um, you know, like the, the, the intersection between, you know, medical history and racism and how they're intertwined. Um, there was 11 books and I think they were ranking them in order, but the 11th book caught my eye the most. It's called Crazy Like Us. I just ordered it on uh, Audible or just purchased it on Audible. And ah. this is a five minute um, sample, but basically it was saying how a lot of the mental illness that we have um, it's like, it's just this American idea. It's really the pharmaceutical companies. They're naming natural human phenomena and they're categorizing it as an illness and then they're creating a drug to, and, and then they're, they're exporting these ideas of what an illness is. And now it's saying that mental illness is contagious and it's more of a social construct that has been created by the, by big pharma just so that they can sell drugs. Oh my gosh. Oh is my that, gosh. And, and this book was written around the time that you started doing it. It was written in 2010. I never heard of it. Wow. Is that, is that wow. an accurate synopsis of what you're seeing as far as 
the mental illness that people think, like even the word anxiety and, and diagnosing right. that as a, like what you just said, basically is yeah. what the book is saying. Yeah, it's exactly. not a real actual thing. Yeah. It's just the stress hormones that aren't being properly curtailed. Right. Exactly. And, and really what it is, is like that there's this huge compendium for psychologists, psychiatrists yeah. that basically lists out symptoms because, and it's people trying to help. I mean, I'm not going to take that away from any therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist. Right. People trying to help people who are desperate mm -hmm. for answers. Mm -hmm. And so that huge compendium, all of those, all the labels, ADD, ADHD, PTSD. By the way, I love it how in Canada it's PTS. I had a client in Canada. She goes, here it's just post-traumatic stress. We don't call it a disorder. Mm. I loved that yeah. because to me, every time we give people the label, you're bipolar, you're this, you're that. I will have clients say to me, but I'm not normal because I'm this. And I'll look at them and I go, oh, so you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens when I tell a 16 year old kid that they're a genius? Oh my gosh. You know, and then we work on that. Yeah. And so it's really just the, the way that also the whole field of psychology came out of um, studying people who were really seriously mentally ill, like seriously mentally ill. Right. And all of that has been applied to some things that are just kind of like what they're calling more generalized anxiety disorder is a new thing, GAD, you know? So yeah, what you're saying is true. Now here's, here's the deal. We've created a very stress-based society in the way that we structured things. Some people thrive in that okay, but bottom line, almost all of us are triggering for some reason yeah. every single day, many, many times a day. Mm. We're releasing too much of our stress hormones. Mm. And that's why we have so much chronic disease, both mental and physical. One yeah. of my colleagues, she said to me, Oh, you're teaching people, because when I teach them about the stress response, remember I mentioned there's that second flood of hormones? Mm -hmm. When that flood of hormones goes out, it can wake you up for no reason because mm. cortisol is a little wake up drug. It goes out a little bit every morning to wake you up. But if you blast it, it's going to wake you up at like 2 or 3 a.m. and you can't get back to sleep. Mm. Or if you had the argument like earlier in the day, you can't get to sleep. You're trying to go to bed at your normal time and it's not happening. Right. So that's usually your, your biology mm. is messing with your psychology. <laughs> It's that's how i like to put it it's all connected right psychosocial connection mm -hmm. sure. and here's a big one the um those that second flood of hormones can make you feel anxious for no reason so i was coaching a young woman she was she had been in chronic anxiety for two full years the way her dad put it to me was that she hadn't felt happy in two years mm. like no happiness yeah. And he wanted his baby doll back. <laughs> right? yeah. So he hired me in to work with her. When I shared that tidbit with her, Emmanuel, I said, okay, so the second flood can make you feel anxious for no reason. She leaned forward to me and she goes, tears in her eyes. She goes, Elle, you're telling me that I'm not really crazy like that. And I looked at her and I said, no. <laughs> <You're human. laughs> I said, I said, I said, these hormones can make you feel that way. Yeah. 
And so she goes, she goes. And so of course I'm teaching her this, but I love it when they get the realization, right? That's the power. That's the empowerment. She goes, oh, so if I don't release the adrenaline, then the glucocorticoids don't go out. Then I don't feel crazy for no reason. I'm like, right. (laughs) Beautiful. That is, I love it when, when you're teaching, I kind of, I've had those experiences recently that I've done my course and like I'm teaching something and then people start to put things together before I even get there. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's working. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the thing is, once you're, tr- and the, she lived, um, she lived in kind of a cool, I would go to her house actually to coach her. Her dad worked for Kellogg and um, the parents had split. So there was, this, there was a split and she lived with him. Mm-hmm. her brother lived with the mother so there's a lot of anxiety things going down right mm-hmm. and then she had left school so she had gone to a more inner city kind of school and her her dad's african-american her mom was white mm-hmm. so she was at an inner city school kind of thing and then she moved to a more country school when she moved out to him mm-hmm. she was at this school so different kids just different called different stuff going down, more rural versus city, yep. you know? So she's got that going down. Um, so there were a lot of things, but the thing that was triggering her every morning, cause she had a couple great friends at school and stuff was the drive is in the country and she was afraid they were gonna hit a deer. Mm. Cause we hit a lot of deer in Michigan. <laughs> it happens, especially in the rural areas. Yep. And so this is a rural drive and they would see deer on the side of the road. She was always so afraid that her dad was going to hit a deer, mm. you know? So those are the kind of things. Yeah. That, and so every morning she triggered fight or flight. Now she's in school. So now she's a little anxious about stuff because we feel vulnerable. And so and by the way, it's, it's like people, there's so many things that compound it too. Any childhood traumas, any little, blah, blah. but I had a kid once I used, I did a coaching session for a kid at a place in Michigan called the Michigan Youth Challenge Academy. It's where kids go. They're either going to be in jail or this is their last ditch effort to try and get themselves in order is this challenge Academy. So it's like half military, half academic. And they had a kid, the psychiatrist just couldn't work with this kid. And the, the therapist was my client. And she goes, I want you to see if you can work with this kid. And he was violent. So they had to have protections for me and stuff. Like it was wild for me mm. to do this work. Yeah. It was, it brings tears to my eyes because it was such cool work. So I, I get in with this kid and we instantly connect because he's a musician, different kind of musician than I am, but you know, we connect. Yeah. So I started teaching him and we start working and it's, it's really cool. And we talked a little bit about trauma and um, he said to me, you know what? It doesn't matter how much money you have, where you come from, what your background is. If you have a traumatic experience when you're a kid, it's a traumatic experience. Mm. And this was his insight, you know, and it was so cool to hear. And then he goes, you know, it's like, the rich girl who wants a pony on Christmas and doesn't get it. Maybe that's her trauma. Mm, Wow. (laughs) It was really incredible for him to have this, you know, teenager. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of getting off topic, but you know, this, this is good. I'm loving all the stories. I do want to ask about though. Um, cause, cause you were talking about, you know, the, the release of stress. How do we, 
how do we stop it? How do like, we stop I've it? Heard of a, yeah. I've heard of like a five second rule or a 10 second rule right. to be able to like, whatever you feel, you take five seconds to take a deep breath or whatever, try to dismiss. What is your strategy on stopping so, yeah. release? Yep. So you're effective for the nine hours for the men or 24 hours for the women. Right. Um, I do three simple steps. First step is you got to have some targets. That's your fuel. Mm -hmm. Why, why do you even want to do this? Okay. So why is it important for you to not trigger the stress response? Is it because you want to be a better dad? Is it because you have a health issue and you really want to gain control over it? Is it because you want to do more in your business? You want to touch more lives. You want to, you know, what are your targets? If you, you identify a few targets, mm -hmm. those are your fuel to do what I'm going to tell you next. Mm -hmm. Because if those aren't strong enough, you won't have a reason to really want to stop the stress response because you've got habits that aren't just your own. They are generations old. And they're not just from the people who raised you. They're, they're from anybody who's had an influence over you. Peers, preachers, coaches, teachers, anybody, you're, the people you currently live with, they influence how you react to things. And so we've built all these habits of reactions and that's what I help people break are the habits of reactions mm. to all the little stuff, right? Some of the stuff's big, some of it's little. So the second step are triggers. What makes you feel these emotions? Angry or annoyed? Anxious or afraid? And anytime you feel ashamed. So I keep, I use a lot of alliteration, keep it easy for people to remember. So those emotions and anyone like it, worry, nervousness, frustration, you know, anything that falls under there, anything that also gets you too excited, that's going to also trigger you into fight or flight. So you're looking for anything that makes you feel that way. So for one of mine is, is tech. Like if I push a button to come on with you and it doesn't work in the first couple seconds, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I start going ballistic, right? Yeah. My, and so tech, I have to watch tech because I spend a lot of money on my tech and I expect it to work instantly. Like you're saying your microphone wasn't working. That would just be like, I just paid 500 bucks for this <laughs> mic, <laughs> right? I expect things to work so yeah. that I have to really watch that. Yeah. So that's one of my triggers. Yeah. So you identify triggers. And if you can hit on a couple ones that you do almost every day, like in mm -hmm. my old house in Battle Creek, um, the front door stuck on humid days. I live in Michigan. Do you know how many humid days we have? <laughs> so I would have my violin, groceries, whatever. I'd have to put everything down, grab the handle to get the key to work in the lock. Mm -hmm. And then here's my mind. The reason I have to use the front door is because I have to park in the driveway because there's so much crap in our garage. I can't go in the garage, right? So I pile on. Do you yeah. ever do the pile on deal, oh, right? sure, of course, of course, yeah. So, so now I'm like under the influence of these stress hormones and I walk into my house and I see everything wrong. Dirty socks on the floor, baseball mm. gear that needs cleaning. Oh my God, somebody's left this going, you know, like it just goes on and on. Right. Yes. So nor if I'm, if I'm not, if I'm what I call pressure free, which is the name of my method, if I'm pressure free, I'm not going to overreact to those things. 
But if I have triggered and I've gone under the line, I will overreact to almost everything that comes my way for the whole rest of the day because of how long it takes. So then I go to sleep exhausted, but I wake up exhausted because the whole night my body's trying to clear out these hormones out of the cells. Mm. So that's why people are so exhausted today. They weren't working on the farm all day. You know, my grandparents worked on a farm all day. Yeah. They were supposed, they were tired at the end of the day because they physically worked, right? Right. And once I actually, I was down at the beach at Michigan and there were two construction workers down there for lunch. Mm -hmm. And I go, hey, can I interview you guys for a moment? Right? You know how I am. You met me. Right? Sure, sure, yeah. So like, can I interview you guys for a moment? I asked them, I go, so are you guys married? And they're like, yeah, they're both married. I go, what do your wives do? They both had office jobs. So I go, so you guys are outside all day and they're in office jobs. When you get home at the end of the day, who's more tired? Oh, by far the wife. Yeah. They're like, no, we want to go out and play around the golf or something. Like they're too tired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, ah, and they were just sitting on their butts all day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 90% of tired today is emotional and it's the stress hormone deal. So when we can get a handle on it, and that's the next tool, the next step for you guys. So triggers, you've got to identify a few key triggers. Next step are tools and the 10 second solution. So from a resting heart rate, it takes about 10 seconds before the amygdala in your brain can get your heart rate charged up and the adrenal glands release that flood of adrenaline. Mm. Okay, it is a cocktail. You're now under the influence. Mm -hmm. 10 seconds is a pretty long time. Thousand one, thousand two. I'm not gonna wait, right? It's yeah. plenty of time. So in that 10 seconds, by the way, if your heart rate is elevated, you're gonna have less time. I was working with a hockey player. He got thrown out of a tournament game. He was gonna miss two more weeks of hockey because his brawl was so bad, okay? <laughs> right? He's yeah. thrown out and he's in the stands and I, I sat next to my guy, listen, honey, I'm gonna teach you something so you don't get kicked out ever again. And he said to me, when I said 10 seconds, he goes, oh, I only have like 0.6 seconds before I'm hot. <laughs> so I said, okay, I don't care. In 0.6 seconds time, you can do this. Okay, trust me, you can do this. He never got thrown out of a game from that point on in the season. Wow. And he was what you would say was like a hot head player. He never got thrown out again. Yeah. Yeah, he was still doing some of that little crappy stuff on the side, right? But he wasn't, but he, he wasn't losing it, though. He didn't lose his cool, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it was so cool to watch. So what can you do in that 10-second window to interrupt? Like you mentioned breathing. Mm -hmm. In my intro course, I teach over 40 things. Why? Because you're unique. Mm -hmm. I could teach the first like 10 and they're not really firing for you, but then I give you a tool and you're like, oh God, that's the tool that resonates with me. That works for me. So I've created a ton of tools because I've worked with so many different kinds of people and everybody's habits of reaction and even how they experience stress is different. You can read in the textbooks, by the way, we got tons of textbooks on psychology and everything else here. I'm a reader too, <laughs> you and I are readers. Oh, yeah. um, you can read about it, and yet here's my experience. You'll read about like, this is what's supposed to happen in the digestive system, which gets really messed up by the way. Yeah. But I had one client who our second session admitted to me that since he was a toddler, had such horrible constipation, it meant he only went like once or twice a week, okay? 
that badly. Talk about the pain and the excruciatingness of that. And he goes, after what we did last week, I'm now completely normal. That is huge. And then I had another younger client. The young clients tell me everything, which is cool, right? <laughs> and, and, and this person got instant diarrhea before every one of her games. Ooh. Just instant. Like, so she'd have to run to the bathroom. You know, mm. even like sometimes they'd announce the team and she's like got to run to the bathroom. She had the so real embarrassing. Yeah, awful. She- Real butterflies. It's awful, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but those are two completely different things going on with the digestive system. Right, right. So everybody's different, which is why I've crafted so many different ways to help people. So basically what we're doing is having some targets. I want to play, I want to get on the court and not have to run to the bathroom. There's a target, right? (laughs) I want to, you know, just to have a really beautiful family life whatever those targets are, and then identify the triggers. Here's the deal about the triggers too, Emmanuel, that I think is so important, especially like arguing or getting hot. We can justify and rationalize our our annoyance and our anger and arguing. We can justify and rationalize all day, but that is not going to help us. Yeah. It's not, and you don't make us feel better. It'll make us feel a lot better in the moment, but. In the moment. But if you trigger those stress hormones, you're harming yourself in so many ways. And you're not just harming you. I believe you're harming the entire society. Yeah. I believe you're, you're harming your family for sure. Yeah. But you're, you're, I believe the, the health of the individual represents the health of the whole. It's our jobs to help each other get healthy. Not with a pill, if we can help it. Right. I'm not, I'm not totally anti-medication. There are some people for whom that is definitely a very big help, okay? But mm-hmm. let's, let's see if we can strip it out just by becoming pressure-free first. Yeah. Can you, know? you that's, this is so amazing. Um, can you share a little bit about, you had told me a story about, I think it was a, a young man that, did he tear his ACL or? Oh, the shoulder surgery. The shoulder, yes, yeah, so yeah, shoulder yeah. surgery. He was supposed to be out for a certain amount of time. Okay, so t- yeah. can you please share that? Yeah, I got a couple of those. So, so a lot of my early clients were guys. They mm. were they were boys in athletics um, and they were their dads. So my sons kept telling these guys and their fr- dads, you, know, you got to work with my mom, right? So, so those are a lot of my early clients. Um, and I had a young man, he actually wasn't like my full course client either. I heard he was getting shoulder surgery because we were family friends. And he was going to be out 12 months. He was a pitcher for a D1 school. Mm. He's going to be out 12 months. He can't pitch from the mound for 12 months. That was the deal. And you're, you know, first year college student, that seems like an awful long time. Forever. So he was home for the surgery in our town. And I went right over to his house the next morning and I coached him. And I said, if you do this every day and keep yourself free of these hormones, um, you have, you stand a chance of healing in about half the time. So he's, you know, everybody's skeptical about it. When I say it, you know, they're skeptical. Like I've never seen this happen. So I go, just, what do you have to lose? Mm. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Just check it out. Plenty of time, right? So just 
try it. Mm -hmm. So he texted me about six weeks in and he goes, my, my physical therapist and my trainer have never seen healing start to happen as fast as it is right now. He was pitching from the mound in a summer league at the six month mark. Wow. It was incredible. Actually, even a little bit before then, because December was when he had the surgery. Mm. So that changed his life. Yeah. You know, that changed his college career. And I had a hockey player who was in a terrible car accident just before the season opened. And um, the trainer said he messed up his ankle and his elbow. And the trainer said, you're going to be off the ice for eight weeks. Mm. The season opener was in like two and a half, three weeks. And this kid was just depressed, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I want to play the season opener. And BC, because I was injured in high school, I get that. Mm -hmm. I get that. And so um, I coached him on the phone in his dorm room. And I said, listen, just do this every day, every day, every moment. Keep yourself pressure free. Don't trigger those stress hormones. He played the season opener. <laughs> That's beautiful. It was That's so cool. That's and those are like physical things, yeah. but then when you get to the mental things and, and there'll be a lot of doubt, which is why part of my course, I dive into the doubt for people because, you know, you think like, oh, I can sort of do this, but then the doubts creep in. Doubts like the devil talking in there, you know, mm. like sucking us back into misery. Right? Yeah. And so um, for me, I started to realize that I could memorize music in minutes that used to take me months, but I doubted it. I would doubt it. Mm. So I started challenging myself and like really giving me a little test. I like play a phrase, close the music. I could play the, I could do yeah. it, right? Like I could really do it. Yeah. And so I started playing with that and I would give myself like, okay, six weeks to completely memorize a piece of music that before I would feel like it would take me months to do it. The human brain is so brilliant, but every time we trigger fight or flight, the whole outer brain, memory, willpower, mm -hmm. executive decision-making, that all shuts down. Mm -hmm. We're in our survival brain, which is why you say things and do things that you later regret, right? How many times have you said or done something to your kid that you wish you could take back? Oh my God, raising oh, my hand here. Right, yeah. You know? All the time. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's like, I, I did it because I wasn't fully thinking. Right. right? Because of the, the stress hormones. I was under the influence. You were under the influence. But we but we have power over it. And, and that's what you're yeah. talking about. And that's what you teach. And yes. that's so amazing. Now, yes. going deeper into the, the injury recovery. I mean, yes. so, I mean, this is, you are bridging that gap when traditional Western medicine sometimes it just stopped giving us solutions or has settled with their version and they yes. don't choose to innovate. Right. So like, let's say for instance, a friend of mine, um, they had gotten in a, a car accident and they have like a, a torn disc in their back. Right. Mm -hmm. And so after like four or five months of physical therapy, the doctor says that, you know, they're not getting any better. Their disc isn't healing. Um, you know, we don't know what else to do. And, you know, what, what, what would you, how would you coach that person? How would you instruct that person on? This is what yeah. you do. When, when right. the doctor says they don't know what, what else to do, this, yeah. is what, this is what L suggests. Yeah. 
Um, the first thing that I would do in a situation like that, some of my tools are body tools. Mm-hmm. And we actually hold our bodies in ways that cause a great deal of pressure mm-hmm. on the back, on the, on the lungs, on the heart, on everything. Okay. And so, um, and I learned a lot of this from a really cool body coach, Leela Veronica, and um, learning from her changed my life. Yeah. It really changed my life. And so that I would go straight first to a couple body tools mm-hmm. to get, get pressure off of certain areas of their back. Mm. And um, I'd also teach them how to walk a little differently, which um, most people walk with their heel and then their toes like this, dun, 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 right? Watch, next time you get a chance, watch a baby first walking. <laughs> I, can, I can picture it. You see it? it? I can picture it, yeah. They don't look down, number one. They're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> their arms are out mm-hmm. and they're, they're walking like this with the front half of their foot first and then the heel. Yep. And that's because right here, the, the ends of our fingers and the ends of our toes are very energetic. Mm. Take a look at how shoes are designed, particularly female shoes are designed with the toes up. Mm. If I put my hands in an up, back position my fingers flying back that's scared eek right yeah when your toes go back like that where's the energy going behind you oh it's not going forward wow so i would do these really cool body tools with your friend first to alleviate physically a couple things and then i teach them about fight or flight so the reason why if you use my method you can heal so much faster when we release the flood of hormones, we wake fat and glucose from our, major, from our major muscles in our brain cells. And it comes to the center of our body so we can fight or run away. When we do all this wicking and pulling, um, it really messes with every one of our body's processes, every single one of them. And so the cells that you need to heal the back, it's not getting the nutrients it needs because our digestive system shut down. Mm. When you can get your digestive system working, really working for you, nutrients are going to get out to all of these places. So that's number one. Second flood of hormones goes out. It actually shuts down your ability to heal and your immune system up to 40%. So when those second flood, and it has to do that in order for the facts to get out the way they need. So it's trying to do some good work because you triggered the adrenaline. It's got a good purpose. And that's why some people today are turning to things to try and lower cortisol. You do not want to do that. You need that to fix your brain and your major muscles after the adrenaline. The body is divinely created. It is Mm. so magnificent. Look at us. I mean, look at us. We are amazing creatures. And so tuning into how to heal how to let it heal when you don't release those stress hormones, your body can renew, regenerate every single night. And now you've changed the trajectory of how your body can heal. So that's why it's pretty miraculous. And, you know, I'm just going to share something real intimate here, but you said we could talk about anything. So um, (laughs) I used to, I lost my mom to breast cancer and um, she was an amazing woman she gave to when when she died was dying my father at the end he had boxes of over 600 cards from people my mother had helped 
No job was too big or small for her. She used to cut old ladies' toenails because they couldn't reach. I mean, that's the kind of person my mother was. Mm. So she passes away. My dad just dies of a broken heart three weeks later, three months later, like crushing. Mm -hmm. So we lost them both. And um, so I'm like, you know, I might have that BRCA2 gene or whatever. My whole adult life until 2010, I had dense fibrous breast tissue. Okay. Mm. Well, that's a precursor, you know, it's not a good thing. All right. Eight weeks, just eight weeks of using this method on myself, my tissues completely changed. Completely changed. I don't know if I saved my life, but I kind of uh, like to think so. <laughs> I would, that, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was just so like amazing. And like little bands of stress fat in the torso, you know, mm-hmm. like you work out, but you still got this little, like, what is that? Yeah. It's kind of, I called it blubber because it's kind of hard too. Like, what is that stuff? It is, um, it's what stress is fat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's stress fat. And it disappeared off of me. Wow. And I never will forget, like, again, about the eight-week mark of using pressure-free each and every day. I got into my car, and instead of my belly, like, going out when I sat down, Mm -hmm. it it tucked in. Like, I'm sitting right now. It's, like, tucking in. It it goes in instead of out. (laughs) Right. I'm so real. It's it's so funny. I want to say one of the reasons why I think we have such a great conversation is, at the time when, when we first met, at the time when I met you, I believe I was reading a book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And everything that you were saying and everything that you're saying right now, it totally fits into that book. And it's by uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you. You, you're familiar with him? I am, yes. Okay. So he's, he's amazing. You already know who he is. He's amazing. And so yeah. one, a few things that he says, he says mind and matter are not separate things we always think you know the mind is separate from the body and the body but it's all, like your mind is a function of your body right and he says when the mind and body are in opposite in opposition change will never happen when oh, you yeah. hear that statement when the body and mind are in opposition change will never happen what thoughts come to your mind you know it, the first thing that comes to mind for me is pain mm. when your body is in pain no matter how hard you try mind-wise, there's always a part of your nervous system dealing with that pain. Mm. There's always a part of your mind dealing with that pain. Yeah. And so that's just like the first thing that pops in. Mm. But you know, this idea, we try to separate, like as if there's this big cleaver between our, mm. our head, our brain, our spirit, you know, all that. But no, it's like, you're in Portland right now, right? I'm in Michigan right now. And yet we are completely connected through the ether. For sure. There is no, I can feel you. There's no question Mm -hmm. of how incredibly powerful this all is. Mm -hmm. And so it is understanding attunement into the energy. Mm -hmm. But we've been so um, bludgeoned in a way we're all dealing with so much pain, all kinds of different pain. And I just, sometimes I look at it and I just want to scream, you don't need to be suffering with that. (laughs) Because again, if half of your anxiety and worry is strictly biological, right? And we strip that out and then we can get to the real things that are causing you 
to trigger stress hormones. Mm -hmm. And we start working on those. Oh my goodness. Now people will say to me, oh gosh, a couple times, I got to share this story because it's so cool. Um, to, it was 2015, 2015, New Year's Day. I get this huge email from this minister in Zambia mm. on New Year's Eve night. His doctor basically had given up on him. There's no more bigger prescription he could give him. He mm. just said, stress is killing you. And in Zambia, they use the word pressure more than stress. Okay. And I'm pressure free, right? So anyway, yeah. he gets online, he's just Googling and he comes across my YouTube channel. So in this email, he, it's a long email, just talking about all the good he's trying to do. He runs four schools, has a huge church, four schools. He's doing so much work, agriculture work, like all this cool stuff. And he goes, you have saved my life. Wow. I've wa I'm watching all your YouTube videos and you're teaching me so that I can do God's work. Like this was huge. So then he, his wife and I, a few months later, his wife and I got on Skype together and I coached them both together, which was super cool. I just did it, you know, like to have to, to, to work with somebody all the way across the world, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he goes, he goes, by the way, we're doing it. We're raising money to add on to the church. And he goes, I stand up there. I go, we will do this pressure free. He yells, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just so cool. Wow. And then from him, somehow this guy in Uganda found me, Sam. He's often commenting on my stuff. He's an accountant in Uganda. So I do a Skype session with him. And it's just like, I wanted an international business. I was calling it in and it was just happening. But he said to me, you know, I always say, like he said, you saved my life. I'm like, no, I, I just showed you, you saved your life, you know? And the same thing, just recently, I finished work with a woman, um, and should we finished our call, our coaching call, right? Then all of a sudden my phone's ringing and it's her. And I'm like, oh, oh, I better answer it, right? And she goes, I just had to call you back because I needed to tell you that I do believe you've saved my life. Wow. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I just, I helped you save your life. You're doing the work. All we can do is teach. All you can do is teach. All I can do is teach. We can lead, we can teach but it's really up to the person for the, all, the, all the gears to get in alignment yeah. and the wheels to turn. And yeah. I'll tell you, the biggest thing I do with my clients is, is help them believe they deserve to have a beautiful life. That's one of my mantras. I believe that every human, every being, every bird, every, I have two owls, they're very noisy by the way, <laughs> barred owls <laughs> outside lately, um, deserves to have a beautiful life. Mm -hmm. You know, and so helping people unlock that, especially if they've been through a lot of crap, that's, it's, that is to me like some of the biggest work I do. How, how much time do we have? How much time you got? <laughs> I, I'm free. I don't yeah. have another client today. Okay, okay. I don't mean to take up too much of your time, but. No. So a few things that came to mind. Um, So you're not um, classically trained in psychiatry. Yeah, like you haven't gone to school for psychiatry or psychology. You're just self-taught. Um, so I think that's another another reason why I'm, I gravitate towards you because I'm a self-taught type of scholar and, and I teach about racism. Um, mm -hmm. I've read things myself. 
Um, so there, there's that part. That's the beautiful thing about what you do because like there's no outside institution that is forcing you to take on some type of ideology that big pharma or the government has already approved. You're just doing what comes natural and you're doing the right thing for the right reasons because you see a problem and you want to go solve a problem out of the goodness of your heart and out of your own insight. So that's that's beautiful. Now also when you when you were saying about how people are saying, you know, you helped change my life, but you're saying you already have, I'm just giving you the tools that you already have to be able to heal yourself. And it makes me think about the world that we live in and how you said how the United States is is really, it's a lot, it's a lot of stress, right? Yeah. And um, it makes me think about, it literally just made me look up this scripture because I was trying to, I, a scripture came to my mind, it's Ecclesiastes 7.29. And it says, um, uh, this only I have found, God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. And, and it made me think of that because think, it's like, our lives are so, unnecessarily complicated because you know the government and politics like business there's there's been so many things to make our lives so difficult but life naturally like we were created to live a simple life and we weren't created to to be in constant fight or flight mode but unfortunately it's profitable oh yeah for a certain small group of people and you can, you can exploit people that are emotionally hijacked and under the influence and not in their right mind and sick yes. and all of these things. Yes. So it's, just, it's crazy how, you know, the world is so backwards that is mm-hmm. fortunately for you and I has created business opportunities, but like we have this opportunity business-wise because like I have an opportunity because the education system is so bad I have the opportunity to step in and give proper education. And yeah. in your situation, not to say that Western, like you said, not to say that Western medicine is right. wrong, but it's like, it's it's created so much imbalance that somebody has to step in and do it. And there's a business opportunity. Yeah. I know I've seen a lot, but what? <laughs> yeah, no, this is so cool. I'm glad yeah. you're bringing this forward because people will say to me, so are you a psychologist? I'm like, no, I am not a therapist or psychologist. I am a coach. I'm very clear about that. Sometimes I help my clients get the therapy they need. They need to talk about their stories. I really don't need to hear that. (laughs) I work present to future and we can touch about some of those things, but present to future is my mode. Does that make sense? And then the other thing I do is, are we good? Are we live? Okay. And then the other thing we do- I just just got a plug in my charter, but go ahead, you got it. Okay, good. Um, The other thing that um, I think is really important is um, that there's gonna be so many things that wanna take you out. The media, anything that is sensationalism, anything pulling energy, anything that's to me very emotional, like grabbing people's emotions, it's just so dangerous. It is- um, inflaming people and it's because it gets us hooked now we want to watch the next story now we want to blah, blah, blah. okay so how are we i i think back to like i go back to my grandparents going through the depression they didn't have any time for that they just had to keep their family alive you know yeah. they didn't have time for that and now i look at it and i say how do people have so much time to be so caught up in a lot of things like 
or feel anxious even, right? <laughs> because my, my grandparents, didn't, they didn't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's interesting how it's almost like we've manufactured stressors. Oh yeah. And um, like you were saying, but, and I go back to even the insurance industry going back to the creation of the insurance industry, because like the, the Chicago fire was horrific. It took, it, it destroyed people's, they had to rebuild in a way like we could never even imagine today because we do have a little bit of this, but it's, it's all kind of faults in a way. I love that you're bringing this forward because it's like, really, if you didn't have any, what's your life like right now? <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, what, is, what, are we, what are we doing and how are we working with our neighbors across the street? Most people don't even know who their neighbors are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. It's been come a, become a kind of a strange society. I want to come back to though, like the education, how we educate ourselves. Um, I came to this whole thing as a performer. I'm a violinist, I'm a conductor. I've been on stage since I was very tiny. And, you know, I, I never had any problem on stage until one event and it crushed me. And I'm like, I could never have that happen again. So I took myself to the University of Michigan Medical Library. I went from New Hampshire to Michigan, U of M. And um, I couldn't run, but I ended up rowing for them, which is too, such a cool sport. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so that was super cool. Um, but I go to the med library on my time off and I started reading about the human brain and reading research reports. And because back then we had no internet. Like if I'm going to learn this, I had to go to sources. So that was feeding into me creating those first set of mental toughness tools to perform well, no matter what. Because I was actually the first woman, I broke a glass ceiling at Michigan to conduct a symphony orchestra. And that was really, really cool. But it was also like huge spotlight, lots of attention on me. And so I need, I could never have a breakdown. Like I had to be rock solid. Mm -hmm. So that was also feeding into how, what I've taught all these years, but it wasn't until 2010. And it was truly a download from above that pulled all the research, all the stuff I've done for years and codified the method, created the method. Mm -hmm. And then it was just off and running. And I actually coach psychologists, therapists, physicians. I'm doing two medical conferences next week, one for nurses and one for physicians and medical administrators. Um, So I coach them in what I do because they don't know it. Yeah. They don't know it. Every physician I have coached, like, I'll get to a certain point and I go, well, you probably know. She goes, I don't know this. Mm. I don't, if I knew it, I would have been doing it and I wouldn't be in the state I'm in. (laughs) It's crazy. Like that, that part is, it's been, it's been blowing my mind, but now I'm just like accepting it. Like, you know what? Just because somebody has a master's or a PhD or whatever, doesn't mean that they're an expert in the field that you're an expert. So I I would like, I'm Ah. currently like getting over this imposter syndrome, like, you know, in a, I'm going to schools or, and I'm doing, you know, seminars with them. I'm like, man, y'all got masters. I got PhDs. But they and don't listen to me. Right. <laughs> like, I got a, I got a bachelor's in marketing. You know, I just been <laughs> I, consuming, I've been consuming books, you know, pretty heavy right. the past five, seven years, but. Okay. Business school unite. I got an MBA too. So. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I know why they call it B school. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was a dang hard program. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Um, and yeah, one of the reasons it was hard too is because project-based. My grades were project-based for the first time. All of us getting the same grade. I wasn't used oh, to that. That was the hardest part for me at business school. I'm like, yeah. oh, I really got to rely on other people. Like, this yeah. is tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. it was fun. Anyway, um, this idea, though, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, you if you feel like like that's 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 like also a congruency thing. Like you got the inside what's going on and the outside what's going on. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really love helping people with is feeling congruent. Mm-hmm. No more that second guessing. No more like standing in your true empowerment, like the inner empowerment. You're not looking to get the empowerment from outside. Mm -hmm. You are now tuned in. You are now attuned. Mm -hmm. And when we dig in, like I just dug in so deeply on fight or flight. That is my expertise. And no one going through med school could spend that much time on that one thing. <laughs> they couldn't do it. Yeah. They got to learn all this other stuff too. Mm-hmm. And so I've come to really understand that and also value like, yeah, what I have here is the first um, client I had who was a physician, you know, she's just like, oh, this is incredible. What you're doing here is, is incredible. And um, so not everybody gets it. Like, one psychologist, I, I gave a group talk to a cancer support group mm-hmm. and she was just like in the background watching. And, and I asked her then, I said, well, what do you think? And she goes, well, I think it's too easy. And I go, well, that's kind of the point. <laughs> like, so people can, people can do it, right? But then I thought about, like I was watching her expressions as she shared back to me and I thought, oh, maybe she feels threatened. Like if this works, then people aren't gonna need therapy. Mm. To be honest, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm like, why would somebody need a therapist if they can go to someone like Elle and just get like, you not only have your interpersonal conflicts being taken care of, but now it's holistically your interpersonal conflicts, but you're healing, you're thinking straight, you're building confidence. Like it's just the the full The people that I have shared, like maybe it would be great to see a therapist is if they have some really dark hidden backstories, you know, like really. um, And and I got a couple of those too myself, you know, so I get that. And I don't, that's not the work that I do. Like I wouldn't feel comfortable. So I have had a couple clients and, and I also tell them, I teach them to be empowered about it and shop around. Don't think the first therapist might be the best one. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel that synergy or whatever, get a different one because yeah. they are so afraid. You know, Emmanuel, they're so afraid. And so helping them just feel empowered mm-hmm. about that, mm-hmm. you know, is, is um, I think that's important because that is not my expertise. So being clear, but when you're clear, like what you have studied, I follow you. Like I've seen some of your stuff and it's like, I love it how I saw a woman say, well, like in the 1400s, you're like, no, in the 1700s, <laughs> you got it. You know, you have studied your stuff and so you know it. And I want to go back to our Uber trip because I shared something with you that a lot of people don't know, but um, I do a lot of research on Canada, French Indian war, because my family had a lot of stuff going on in there. Okay. So um, 1704, or I think it was 1707, somewhere in there, um, there was a huge, um, the Deerfield massacre 
an entire colonial town was massacred. It was a two year plan by the French to come down Lake Champlain in the winter over the ice, mm -hmm. come down to Deerfield and, and abolish that, that outpost, just mm -hmm. kill everybody, take everybody. So they, they killed most of the men and then they took the women and children and trekked them 200 miles to Chambly, Quebec. And one of those people was my ancestor. He was four years old. Mm. The young boys were, were brought into slavery. So they were slaves for either the French or the Indian tribes that were a part of it. Like they were doled out. Yeah. The ones that went to the native tribes were really horribly tortured. Like it was bad. Mm -hmm. The ones that went to the French were, were you know, they were, worked on farm or whatever, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, but they weren't tortured as much as, so my little four-year-old ancestor was fortunate to come over into a French family, but they changed his language. They changed his last name from Stebbins to Steben. They changed his religion. They, he went French Catholic, you know, they changed everything to put them in that society. Yeah. And so it's just fascinating to, you know, I didn't even know any of that history till I found my ancestor, right? <laughs> I didn't know. Um, it's, you it's know, how we're, uh, I was just reading um, an excerpt from Notes of a Native Son by James Baldwin last night. And he was, saying, <laughs> he said, we are trapped in history and history is trapped in us. And I was like, man, that is a profound statement. Like, I love James Baldwin when he says stuff like that. And kind of what you're saying, like, you know, he was trapped in, the, in like, we as a people are, are trapped in, in what, like, what, what's going on right now is fully indicative of the past and what we don't know about the past. So we're kind of recreating and reproducing everything that's been happening. And so there, is, there are no coincidences, all the you know, strife and the turmoil and the racial stuff. Like all of this has been happening since before the United States was the United States. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think it's an, an always, a, um, it's like every generation is figuring stuff out. Yep. And no matter how much, it seems like no matter how much history we are taught, mm -hmm. um, we still need to figure it out ourselves. I mean, I'm older now. I'm 59 this year, you know, so you I yeah don't you don't look it you don't look it <laughs> thank you pressure free did that i could show you, you some old videos of me that look really old <laughs> <laughs> but that, oh, yeah. that's real I, uh who james allen he, he talks about that are you familiar with james allen who is james allen tell me He's like a british philosopher he used to write stuff back in the early 1900s um, okay but you know he talked He's like a lot of wisdom and, and knowledge. Um, he, he wrote As a Man Thinking. Oh, yes, I read that, yes. So he talks about that, how like having a, you know, a good countenance comes from kind of what you're saying, like a stress-free life, someone who doesn't fret and doesn't you know, worry and thinks good thoughts and ponders good things. You know, their, their, their face doesn't age. So a person can like, you know, you'll go, you'll go to their funeral, they're 105 years old, but they look like they're 60. And you go to a funeral and somebody's like 65 years old and they look like they're 90, you know, but it's just like, yes. they're mental. Our, yeah. So our face reveals when I'm coaching clients, their face reveals so much to me. Mm -hmm. I can see when their jaws tight. I can tell if they're a tooth grinder, yeah. you know, yeah. um, if there's furrows in the brow here, 
that's mm -hmm. a lot of worry, a lot of pain, a lot of, you know, we come in here a lot when we're, and as you talk about things, it's like, we'll go, <laughs> face goes wide. We're usually like happy talking about the end. Face goes tighter. We're talking about things that are harder. Yeah. And what I think is that I, of, I often use this. I Actually, this is new in my coaching. I don't really, I'm not even as interested in positive mindset as I am in optimal mindset. Ooh. Okay. So my, my view, I want to be living in what I call the genius zone. In the mm. genius zone, the problem occur, the problem comes into focus, and I have all my faculties to be working on it, mm. not emotion. Faculties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like that to me is optimal mindset. Yeah. And then when those things come in, it's like I'm also a big one about consensus thinking, collaborative thinking. My brain, like put two brains together. It's not lineal, you know, we're not adding brain power. It's exponential brain power. For sure. You know, because we, we it's like, it's electricity. Yeah. <laughs> it actually is. We are electrical beings, oh, yeah. you know? So it's like all these ideas, you say something, I say something and it just cues off and we go more and more. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you're in that optimal mindset, if you're, if you're not nervous, you know, you can create amazing things, but if you enter in any sort of a noise or shape, any of those a emotions, mm -hmm. or I'm afraid of you, can I tell a fear story? Feel free. Okay. Um, so I'm this little girl from New Hampshire, right? <laughs> in New Hampshire, like you walk down the street and you just say hi to everybody. You know half of them anyway, right? So yeah. like you just say, hi, hello, hello, hello. So I get to Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm brand new on, I've never been in a plane, on a jet. Like I don't, I, I'm so naive. I'm like super naive, right? <laughs> And I'm walking down the sidewalk, like, hello, hello. And like, no one is saying hi back. The only people saying hi back, I started to, so I started, I, I'm like, what's wrong? You know, is there something wrong with me? Is there something like, I didn't really know what was going on, but I decided I don't want to change. Like mm -hmm. I say hi to people. Right. So I kept doing it, but it was a sociological experiment now. It's like, who says hi back? Mm. Okay. So here's what I noticed. If I said hello to like the guy pushing the broom in the hall mm -hmm. or the person cutting the, or the woman getting the trash out of thing, like if I said hi to them, they said hi back. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anybody doing any sort of work? Mm -hmm. So they're sort of representing the university, I guess, you know, but like, and then um, not all the time, but people of color would usually say hi back to me. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was just kind of interesting. Like who's saying hi back or who isn't? Most people are just down in their own little world. So, and also anybody who's like eyes were more up. Yeah. Would say hi back or nod. Maybe they wouldn't verbalize, right? right. But you'd get an acknowledgement. So I was sharing this with a group from Western Michigan University of professors and students one night. And this guy stood up, this sheriff for the county, um, 6'4", 270, like a big African-American guy. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'm going to tell you why those people said hi to you. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> he goes, here's what happens when I go down the sidewalk. 
if a little New Hampshire white girl like you was walking the other way, she'd probably cross the street and grab her purse. Yeah. But if you come walking straight at me, you don't touch your purse, you look straight in my eyes and say hello, I'm dang well saying hello back. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Never in a million years would I thought like I would have to like walk across the street. Mm. Like, what is that? Right. But that's what I'm talking about my naivete. Like I didn't know. Yeah, but like, that's, a, that's a learn. That's one of those learned behaviors. How if if you come up in whatever area, whether it's like a more um, you know metropolitan area, you're socialized and taught this is how you treat these people. Right. And right becomes just normal behavior and normal activity to that person who's doing it but they didn't realize that they were taught that at a young age and now now they've internalized it and rationalized it and now it just they're just it's a part of them and it makes sense but to the person that who wasn't taught that was like why like you said why would i why would that thought even enter my mind it's not a natural thought it's taught right and and we're socialized to think that way yeah yeah, yeah, that was, it was really profound to me, and mm-hmm. you know, to hear this like decades later. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was really wild. Yeah. I mean, I and and I was in Ann Arbor, and I shouldn't have been. I had a lot of nighttime concerts, so mm-hmm. I was walking home alone at night, and I had a couple scary nights. I had a night there were a bunch of guys from Purdue up for the football game. They were all drunk, and they like started messing with my violin, and they like I had to run. I had wow. to run. Wow. You know, so. So I get like being afraid. Yeah. But when I was walking on the sidewalk and I saw, you know, it was just college guys, you know, like like a group of college guys. Like I I didn't cross the street. I kept walking, you know, they're coming this way, I'm going this way. Mm-hmm. I guess my dad brought me up to be fierce, you know. So like I, I wasn't afraid, but when they started messing with me, that was a little scary. But you know what I mean? But yeah, it's just that's, that's, I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a great experience. Thank you for sharing that, though. Yeah, um, I, I do want to touch on because mm-hmm. um, this is the Socks and Sandals podcast, society, yes. culture, history, and religion. You said something that got me going, got got me thinking, and you said it was a download from above. You used that phrase, and so I must ask, um, what is your what is your worldview as it comes to spirituality or religion um what thoughts or ideas or what's your perspective what what do you ascribe to um so i studied a lot of different religions in my lifetime i was raised as a congregationalist which is very uh um you know it's very new england (laughs) so um very new england um very uh taught to think independently okay um i'll just add that in a um, cu- couple of things I delved into deeply. I delved into Christian science deeply because the founder of Christian science was from my hometown, Mary Baker Eddy. So the Christian science monitor and all of that. And it's kind of weird that I grew up in a town where a woman founded a, a section of, you know, of Christianity. And mm-hmm. then I moved to Battle Creek and Seventh-day Adventism was founded there by Ellen B. White. Wow. So it's kind of wild, you know, and, and I am, um, yeah, so, so I don't know, there's that. 
Yeah. Um, I studied Hinduism. I studied some native religions. My dad was under the impression that he was part Iroquois growing up as actually a white woman who was brought up in the tribe, who was his, it was not blood. So that's kind of interesting too, you know? So he had a lot of native ways. Mm -hmm. um, so, so all these influences you could say, um, one of my Romans 12, do not be conformed to, to this, this world, yeah. but be renewed by the renewal of your mind. Mm -hmm. Like that is probably my overarching um, scripture. Yeah. When I, I, I've been going to that since I was a very little girl. Yeah. Very little girl. And so I think I operate in that. When I hear something, I don't take it at face value. I'm like, no, let's dig in. Let's see, what is this? Um, you know, let's, let's learn from this. So I'm like a, a lifelong learner kind of person. Um, and I really believe in humanity. I believe that we can be better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I believe we can be better. Yeah. And, um, you know, I told you before we started, I think that I raised our kids. Um, we purposefully lived on the north side of town in a house where my kids played with every kind of kid, mm -hmm. every kind socioeconomically, every color, every, you know, the, the drug dealers kids who were the white, who were white kids, like you couldn't, if you lined up all the kids and said, oh, they must live over that way, <laughs> you'd be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like so cool. So we, I raised my kids that way just because that's how I live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I watch my boys now, they're adults, moving in an international world mm -hmm. in a beautiful way. Yeah. And how they, um, how they, you know, the kind of conversations they have, the kind of people that they are, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. So, and my youngest is New York now, he goes to school at Columbia. <laughs> you bring up the education thing. Mm -hmm. So I have a really big vision for my business. like. I want to do research. I want to show how pressure-free helps with chronic mental and physical illness yeah. and how we can really transform. And I want to have a retreat center where people from all over the world come and get trained with me yeah. and spread this thing. Right. Sure. So it's, I have this big dream and big vision. So my youngest son, I was sharing it with him and he goes, mother, you need a PhD so that you've got the clout to bring in the best researchers to work. Right. So he goes, this is my, he turned 21 today. It's his birthday. He goes, mother, I want you and I to go to Michigan together and do a PhD together. Wow. <laughs> what wow. kid? Yeah. I mean, I started this by saying my two older sons wanted me in the dugout. Now yeah. my youngest son wants me to go to college with him. That's, <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So he switched his major from film because my other sons have a film production company. Okay. So he switched his major from film to psychology mm -hmm. because he wants to carry on my legacy. That's so good. we're creating the continuation of the legacy yeah. already. And he, he's, he, been, he was 10 when I created this. His whole world changed mm -hmm. when I created this. Yeah. He wouldn't be where he is today if he wasn't pressure free. Like it changed his life. So he sees that power. Right. And that's why I love working with children too, because it makes me sick to hear those parents say, I have a high anxiety child. It just, it's like so sad. 
you know, because if they're anxious in elementary or middle school, what the heck are they going to be like in high school? Right. What kind of adults, what's their adult life going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, we've got kids today so anxious, they can't even function in the society, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's a big mission. Um, I'm, I'm kind of old, so I got to keep living. You know? <laughs> You got a lot of years ahead of you, I'm telling you. Thank you, honey. (laughs) You're sharp. You're doing the right things for the right reasons. And, um, you know, you've you've created your your program and you've impacted people in such a way that it's what I call just, I mean, not necessarily me, but, you know, you're you're working on a universal level. And so the universe is always going to provide those that are doing the right things for the right reasons, they're always the universe will take care of you Thank through you so much through the people like your universe. The universe is taking care of you through your son, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, your, your your legacy, and the people that you've reached internationally. If you ever needed something, or before you even know that you need it, something is going to come your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do exactly what you need. You know, it's kind of how things have been playing out for you. Yeah. So, I remember one of my clients too. So she runs um, an urban lake here in Michigan. And um, she, she came into my office. I love skeptical people, by the way. She walks in and she goes, I heard about you, but my stress is so much. I don't think you can do anything here, right? Like she just came right out and said it. And so by the time we were done, she's on my website, by the way, you'll see your testimonial. I love what she said here. She goes, I am now a better mother for my daughter, a better boss for my staff, and a better person for the world. And when she put that last bit in there, I got tears in my eyes because it's like, that's what we need all to be is like better people for the world, you know? It's a world mission. We are so global today. Mm -hmm. And um, so it is a world mission, even if we're just in our little silos in Michigan and Portland or whatever. But no, it's a bigger mission. We're touch- we're all, it's we're a ripple connected. effect. Yeah, we're all connected. We're, we're all on the internet. So that means we're all connected. So, you know, something that you do, um, yeah. it goes viral. You know, viral, it goes viral. And it goes viral. <laughs> and, and people see it and it, it takes on a life of its own. And, it's, yeah. and, then, and then it's not even you. It's just, it's just the world's now. It's just you the world's. Yeah. It. One of my mentors said, he goes, don't worry. He said, there's some countries right now that have already translated all your stuff and, and taken it as their own. So. That is too funny. It's like, okay, we just want the world to get it. So, Well, El, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know. This is great, though. The listeners, they, you know, 90 minutes. I know you guys like the, the content, but let's go ahead and wrap it up for you so you can go on with the rest of your day. So... Um, let's get into the Fab Five, five questions that I ask everybody. Um, because of the nature of who you are and what you do, uh, you've kind of already answered some of these questions, but let's get into it anyway. So, uh, Wait, before you answer this, uh, before you ask me this, okay, Fab Five, I am a U of M grad. Okay, so oh, yeah. my, my, my son, my eldest son, he grew up, my, my husband stayed home with my older two, so man raised boys, okay? He mm-hmm. thought he was Maurice Taylor. My my little son thought he was Maurice Taylor. He walked around. He could hardly speak, right? He could dribble a basketball while he was barely walking. And he's like, a bump Taylor. He's Maurice Taylor. He thought he was Maurice Taylor. So have five. Go for it. It all comes together. Full Mm -hmm. circle. (laughs) 
Um, I think, man, how old was I when the Fab? So Fab Five, that was the 90... 93, 94, 90, right in there. Yeah, early 90s. Early 90s. Yeah, I was I eight, eight or nine years old, man. I was That was a great time. That was an amazing team. I love that team. I was actually in phys ed for a year. So the teams before then, late 70s, I was in class with a lot of those guys. So. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yep. awesome. All right. So first question. Um, when you were a kid, what was the first thing you wanted to be in life? Teacher. Teacher. And why? And what? how old were you when you knew? Uh, I was like four. Wow. My my mother had been a social worker and a teacher, so okay, yeah, that was the first thing. Then professional musician by right. age ten, mm-hmm. and you you carried that stuff out. You I did it, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's beautiful. All right, question number two. I mean, for you, this is when you feel overwhelmed. How do you de-stress? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna put it this way. So. I actually built a set of recovery tools for when I do trigger the stress response because I'm a human being. Yeah, It's gonna happen. And now it's like a science experiment. I can watch the 24 hours, by the way. Mm. And I see how my mouth gets real hot, right? So, <laughs> so my number one thing I do when I trigger the stress response is I zip my lips because what will come out next is not very nice. <laughs> That's great. And that's the honest truth, so. That is great <laughs> advice. That is great advice. Thank you for that. Um, if you could choose any one celebrity as your life coach, who would it be and why? Oh my goodness. Any one celebrity as my life coach. Mm-hmm. I'm drawn to super blank. Because <laughs> um, I really love my own coaching, to be honest. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I love it. I love if, it. If you named a bunch of people, I would look. I would tell you that they need pressure free. Tony Robbins needs pressure free. Les Brown needs pressure free. Like, I would just say that. World class. Pressure That's free. what I think. Yeah. Pressure yeah. free is world class. Um, I would go supernatural, and I'd like talk to Jesus or Muhammad or like I'd talk to those dudes. <laughs> I'd talk to Mary Baker Eddy. She founded a religion. Like, I would. I would talk to her. Sure. How familiar are you with uh, Osho or um, the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh? Have you, have you heard of him? Uh-uh, no. Okay. He, there's you a, send it to me, okay? I'll send it to you. Yes, yeah, it's a, okay. it's a um, documentary on Netflix called Wild Wild Country that goes okay. on the story and they started a commune in Oregon. Pretty wild story, but he's a very interesting guy. Um, okay. Question number four, if you woke up tomorrow and realized that you hit the lottery for $100 million, how would you spend your money and your time from that day forward? Um, I would build that center on Lake Michigan. Mm. It'd be really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would just, I'd be doing what um, I'm already doing. Yeah. And just touching more and more people all around the globe. That's the deal. And doing the research, getting the getting the research science behind how incredible this method is. So. Mm. That's beautiful. It's, it's amazing how like like what you're doing and what I'm doing, like I think this is the model that is supposed to happen where like you find interest in something, you do the work, you get some results and then you go to school to get like, <laughs> to refine your skill set. 
because because experiences is always going to be a better teacher than just book learning. But unfortunately, because our world is backwards, we put books, 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 books. And then you're like 25, 26, 27, 28 years old. And now you start doing a real thing. And it's like, well, you probably should have been doing a real thing before you got a refined sense of, you know, what things are supposedly supposed to be. So yeah, not to mention that the people in academia have many of them have never been in the real world, like outside of academia. Yes, they've been in they've been in school since kindergarten. Yeah. So, yeah, getting that real life experience. And then what you said, when you come back, no ideology can be planted on you because you're a discriminating person yes. and you understand fallacy. You see it. You know, that's a, a problem we have today is that people don't understand logic and fallacy. They don't see it. So they fall for everything, you know. There are gonna be there are gonna be people, I'm sure you've come into it, ran into especially recently, that when you say that a man, you know, has a nine-hour response and a woman has a 24-hour response, they'll just argue you down about the difference in gender, even though it's scientific, like logical, real it really is really happening. And you know that and they'll they'll stop and they won't go forward with what you're seeing because of that. Yeah, and it's fascinating too. Um, I've worked with um, a co- just a couple of students who are gender fluid. I'm gonna use that term, gender fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to the stress response, they are obviously the gender that they were born. Yeah. So working with that mm-hmm. and, and helping them navigate that because that's never gonna change. Right, yeah. It's not sure. gonna change. So it's a weird biological gender difference that mm-hmm. just exists, so. It exists and we just have to deal with it as it comes and yeah. properly if we want the results that we say that we want. Right. Um, lastly, this question is, is kind of heavy. Uh, so feel free to take the time if you need to. Okay. What message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Um, whew, let's see. I just want everybody to be happy. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, as musicians, we tend to have like a whole playlist for our funerals. <laughs> I, def- I, I have one. I already got, I got a few songs that I want to play. I got, I know exactly the exact song that I want to be played on my slideshow when they show all the pictures. I want to play this one song. It's going to make everybody cry. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have one of those, but um I guess really uh, the big message is that um, is 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 that you know life was meant to be lived pressure free. Mm. No matter what pressures come your way, you don't have to trigger that stress response. Simply put, mm-hmm. you are on a journey. You're on a mission, and mm. that, that mission is going to um, it's going to be here. And it's going to be carried out. And it's, it's just beautiful. I applaud, I applaud you for what you're doing uh, as if you needed it. But still, though, I just I love it. Every every bit of it is amazing. And I always say there are no coincidences. And so me picking you up on an airport on your, you know, second lift ride ever <laughs> for, for this very moment. And because to be honest, you know, this is this will be my 166th episode. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to say. And I, I get, sometimes I'm a prisoner of the moment, but uh-huh. I mean, 
this is one of the most important conversations that I've had. What you shared and what we've gone over, especially at a time like this in the midst of a global pandemic, you know, stress at ungodly levels, you know, it's just, this is one of the most important conversations. So thank you for your time and for your work. I appreciate it. You're you. so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Again, I'm so glad for that initial conversation. No doubt. No it's beautiful and let's keep it going. Definitely. Now, how can folks get a hold of you? You know, um, go ahead and plug your socials, your website, all of that. Sure, yeah. Um, I have a YouTube channel, it's Al Ingalls, but if you just even type in pressure-free, Pressure free, um, L-E-L-L-E. I'm just going to pop up all over the place. So feel free to connect me anyway, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and then uh, if you really want to have a conversation with me, like this is touching you and you're like, wow, I really want to have more. Um, I'm going to give you my calendar. So it's speakwithl.com, E-L-L-E. So just speakwithl.com and um, we'll have a conversation. That is the best way for me to learn more about you, to see if this is a good fit for you or for your company or your team. So I do group trainings and um, yeah. So happy, happy to talk with anyone connected to what you do. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you once again. This has been an amazing conversation to everyone that's been tuning in. I hope you all have been taking notes (laughs) back. And, and reach out to Elle, get on her calendar, you know, set up a time to talk with her because there's a lot more um, that can be gained from her. So I encourage you all to do that. I approve her message, all of that, all of that. So I hope you all have been enlightened, inspired, empowered by this conversation. Once again, this is the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next time. Grace and peace.